Al's got his tea. It's 27 days to the French Open, and this is the Gray Zone. Doing good? I'm doing great. It's actually coffee, to be overly specific. It's just coffee. Stop it, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were like a regular tea drinker every uh, morning. Well, no, I'm growing up. I tried to, I tried to like stop the coffee thing for a while, but you know what? It just wasn't for me. So I'm back yeah, on the coffee train. Are you a coffee guy? No, not at all. I'm wow. not. Uh, I'm not weak-minded like you guys. Dude, I would kill to be like. If I had two superpowers, one would be to not need coffee, and the second would be like the ability to wake up when I said I was going to wake up. In case you're wondering, this is a tennis coaching podcast. Yes. <laughs> We're just getting started. We're just getting started. With speaking the of tennis coaching, of coffee. Speaking of that, um, hey, congrats to Leo. I hear he did well in Jakarta. Thanks, man. Yeah, great, uh, great result for Leo in uh, in Indonesia, beating uh, beating Donskoy, who former top hundred, maybe even top fifty, um, in the first round, number one seed, and then uh, going on to win the title. So yeah, great week for him. It's awesome, man. Awesome. And you've got uh, you got uh, I think both uh, Arsenal brothers on the Junior Davis Cup team who just qualified, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they were down in uh, down in Florida at the national campus for I guess regionals or whatever they call it, and they they ended mm-hmm. up beating Puerto Rico. They beat Mexico. They played. They lost in three every match. They lost in a, a third set to the states, um, mm-hmm. but they ended up advancing. So they'll go to yeah world world group in Spain, I think, in October. But uh, nice. that's good. And just to be clear, I mean, they, they do train at our place and they train with us, but their their dad is their main coach. and Their dad does so much good work with them that like anything else, I'll take credit. But it's really the the dad and the kids that deserve <laughs> all the credit there. Oh, that's good of you. So tough to beat the States. It was the exact same thing with uh, when I when I was uh, coach Junior Davis Cup. I mean, we beat Mexico and we beat I think it was Ecuador, maybe. And then tough matches against the U.S. Uh, they got right. so many players, so many good players. It's tough for sure, for sure. Just quick, stuff. quick side note on that. So they're, I always find this interesting where obviously because it's a, a Team Canada thing, they normally send a um, a Tennis Canada coach down on the trip um, with the players, mm-hmm. right? And I know when you did it, were, you, were the, you were the head coach for under-16 Davis Cup or which, which one was it? No, I was uh, like assistant coach or whatever you want to call it for uh, both teams, under-14 and under-16. Oh, cool. But it okay. was at the, at the regionals, like you said. At the regionals. Who was... Yeah. Um, who is the the Tennis Canada person that was sort of leading the trip or leading the group? It was Marty Marty Lorando for 16s yeah. and Andre Labelle for 14s okay. on the boys side, which is where I was. Nice. nice. So yeah. Frank Dancevic took the was in charge of I guess the under 16 boys, mm-hmm. and I guess I think that's such a cool experience for like although the boys are younger and there's a kid Adam Farakow, um who's also who's great who's in the national program, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess I think it's it's so cool for those boys to get a chance to just be with a player like Frank who's been top hundred and beating guys like Roddick and um and the big yeah. thing for me with coaching is always like I guess tend to ask the boys like hey like have you enjoyed your time with with Frank mm-hmm. and when the answer is like yeah yeah we, we've loved it at that point it's kind of like I don't know Frank as a coach or anything but the fact that they just like enjoy their time with him and they they want to work for him and stuff like that it's like he's doing something right yeah 100 uh, percent that's the start of uh that's the the key part of uh, any coaching relationship right Right. So you stuff. Like Should we get into it? Get into it. Let's do it. Why mental toughness is BS. Should that be the title? Potentially. Yes. Oh, man. I, I was going to say before, but yes, that should be the title. <laughs> no, but I, the term mental toughness is BS. This is this is my thing just to get into it. And nothing, nothing against the actual idea, but it's just so incredibly vague. And I remember reading a paper a while back that looked at different definitions of mental toughness, and they sort of summarized them all, and they found something like 15. 
they found yeah. like 15 different definitions that people had come up with. So yeah. it's, that's my only point. And we hear a lot about it, a lot about it in, in coaching and in tennis about mental toughness. And there's nothing wrong with that idea, but I think it does a little bit of a disservice to us as coaches and to the players because it is so vague. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's worthwhile to dive into a little bit. What, what are the key mental skills required to be an elite level tennis player? I don't know if you have any thoughts right off the bat. Do you want to jump in or um, let me go on a monologue? Um, I'll jump in for the first one if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll start with like, we were in in the coach three, we sent a bunch of videos on how to develop mental toughness. And there was this one 15 minute video we watched. It was a TED talk about the importance of grit, G-R-I-T, grit. And I watched this video where this lady talked about the importance of grit for 15 minutes and didn't once define what the hell grit was. And so it's funny that like we haven't talked about this beforehand, but I, I get the sense that your feeling about the stuff is the same as mine when it comes to these definitions of of these things. But anyway, segueing on one of the big things that I think is is being like a massive strength in the bracket of mental toughness. And I'm not sure if you're looking for an exact definition from me, but just this concept of like players being uh, really good or really willing problem solvers. Hey. Um and I don't know from a coaching perspective, I'm not really sure how to develop that in an athlete. Um, but I think sometimes it's very visible when an athlete has this mindset where they they might encounter a problem and they they actively in in a match look for ways to solve said problem. Well, that was sort of my that was sort of my idea um for this was was to you know have a discussion around what are the key or the core mental skills required, but then also how do we go about developing them in our players mm. when you talk about, so, so we can do that. But when you talk about like being a willing or a good problem solver, what, what percentage of that is tactical versus mental? I think they play a component together. Mm. And I, I think like all four of those headings, like tactical, physical, psychological, technical, I think they, they all play sort of a role together, but I think it starts with psychological because the first thing you have to do is like, just, be willing to solve a problem. Yep. And I think at a lot of levels of tennis, it's like we look at the seeds or we're looking who we're playing or we're looking at their UTR. And we've talked about that before, but sometimes there's not a willingness from every athlete to be to be in a court and be in a turkey situation. Be like, okay, there, there's an answer here, but can I find it on my own? Or can I figure mm. it out? And yes, mm. it's certainly tactical because the end result of that is like they, the athlete is going to um, choose or adjust their tactic to be more effective, right? Um, yeah, but without the psychological wherewithal to be like to be like, okay, I have it within me to do this, then we don't get to the second part, which is picking the right tactical adjustments or attempting to pick the right tactical adjustments. Mm. What are your thoughts? Do you think that that's different than something like a, a term like handling adversity, like the ability to handle adversity? Um, I think they can be very similar, but sometimes adversity could be like could be different where it. It could be a sense where a player's on his fifth match in three days and they're very, very sore and they have an ankle injury. And it's like, can they mm-hmm. can they can they go out there and compete the same they same way they would if they were completely fresh? Like are they are they able to put like that adversity out of their mind and just shut up and compete? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that might be different than problem solving, where yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it goes back to problem solving is maybe more tactical in, in nature. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I no, I, I think it's it's really interesting because I 
you know, I'll just I'll just say right off right off the bat that my sort of framework, because it's no surprise I have a framework, but my sort of framework is like the skills you need, uh, you know, come competition time, you know, are the ability to handle pressure, the ability to handle distractions, the ability to manage emotions, and the ability to handle adversity. Right. But then there's also the skills that allow you or the uh, abilities that allow you to develop over the long term. And so I do have grit as one of them, but also things like just motivation, being able to manage your motivation, confidence, being able to manage yeah. that and growth mindset. I have that in there. So like, I'll say right off the bat, that's what sort of, that's, uh, that's in, in my framework, but I'll be honest. I don't think of, I don't think of problem solving as sort of, but I do think you're right though. I think that is, um, I, I, I you could stick it on there at adversity, right? Adversity could be physical. Adversity could be mental, but adversity could be tactical. You said, yep. man, I can't figure out. I can't figure out why I'm losing this match. I can't figure out why I'm, uh, you know, I'm losing my second serve points or whatever it is. Um, so of course, adversity can be tactical. Sure. What I would, I guess what I would ask you is, I think in my mind, there's a distinction between um, skills and beliefs or mindsets, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. And I guess I would ask you is what you're talking about, is that a skill or is it the result of a, belief or a mindset or an attitude and again if that, that, if, that may, if that makes sense yeah yeah um i think it's both though right because i think sometimes to have the mindset you have to have some semblance of belief that you have the skills and or vice versa and now yeah sometimes you have to you have to fake the mindset until you have the skills so i i don't really know the the answer to be honest um mm. but, but i think i think they could potentially both play roles is there is yeah. there an answer that you kind of like if I were to ask you the same question, what do you think? Yeah, I have the right answer, Al. No, I, <laughs> usually. <laughs> I, I think, no, but I just think because like, you know, I go back to, um, uh, I go back to uh, one of the, you know, the article that I wrote in, back in November about Felix, which I'm going to plug briefly just because, um, just because I am quite proud of it. I think it's quite interesting. And yeah. I did, uh, for those who, for those who don't know, it was right around the time uh, when Felix won his three titles in a row, went on a 16 match win streak, did great at Davis Cup, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. And I looked back at his entire year, and I looked at every match that he played, and I looked at all of his press conferences, and I sort of decoded them to look for any themes in what he was talking about because he had a really crappy start to 2022. He was really struggling. He was losing. You know, he had a, he had a good, you know, okay start with ATP Cup and, and Australian Open, making quarters. And then he won his first title, but then uh, by March, by around March, he really was struggling. He was, you know, winning one, maybe two matches in a row and then losing. He lost to a lot of lower ranked players and then he pulled it around and had this great end of the year and some really positive results. And so I thought it was interesting to look at like, what was, what were his beliefs and mindsets, um, you know, what, to find any clues as to the way he thinks and operates and, and what allowed him to persevere through that because it was a really tough start of the year or tough middle of the year. Um, and and so anyway, all that stuff, so I recommend you go check it out, Zacholine.com. Um, but the you know, in there, I talked about a couple of themes and I found, you know, one was he embraced challenge, one was he looked for positives, one was that he talked about, you know, controlling what you can control and accepting what you can't. He also recognized that success isn't linear, and then he also mentioned a desire to continuously improve. Um, but I guess what I what I'm thinking about is, you know, if you have that mindset a growth mindset of embracing challenge, mm -hmm. then I think you're going to be more willing in a match to problem solve, right? Mm -hmm. Now, whether yeah. or not you have the tactical knowledge 
to figure out the solution or the technical skills to execute. Those are technical and tactical skills. Mm -hmm. But if you have that belief or that mindset, then you're going to be more willing. Whereas I think you can, so I, I, for me anyway, that's more of a, uh, of a, a mindset thing rather than a mental skill like focus or persevering through adversity. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny, I, I'll take a, a screenshot of uh, the list I have in front of me because my second one is embracing the challenge slash loving the challenge. So we're mm. certainly like within the same. But I think mm. you are, you are articulated that really, really well. And sometimes I think embracing the challenge as well is just as simple as like, is a player going to be willing to just throw the ball in the court and say to their opponent, like, okay, we well, got to hit 48 winners by me if you want to beat me. Like that, in some sense, can be embracing the challenge as well. Yep. Um, but going back to the Felix thing, I, I think that's... So you made a conscious effort to go through... A lot of his, uh, um, a lot of his press conferences after matches. And what were there any big things that he was saying that led you to believe that he really embraces the challenge? And it's tough to like verbatim say what he was saying, but how did you how did you sort of get that sense? Well, it's good to know that you didn't read the article, Al, because I posted it. I read it. I read it. <laughs> That's true. I, I I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was it was back in November, so I feel like I can excuse myself for um for not remembering all the details. But if I just but if I go through it. You know, so there there were quotes that that made it clear. So here's an example, right? Either way, it's going to be a great opportunity for me to test myself and see where my game is at. This was uh, talking about he was getting ready to play Rublev or Chilich, neither of whom he had beaten before. And so his mindset was like, this is going to be a great uh, a great challenge. Um, here's another quote: It's good to spend time in these matches on these courts and battle four hours, test yourself mentally, physically, and at the end, that's how you learn. You just try to put yourself in these difficult situations and try to find a way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That um, to me. Yeah. Exactly. I'll see if I can find one more just to to uh, to put the nail in the in the coffin. Uh, here's one more. For sure, it's better to win in three sets, both physically and mentally, to feel like you're in control of everything and you win in three sets. That being said, losing a set, finding a way to win the fourth set, it could be good because these are things that are going to happen in the tournament against tougher players. To be in that situation in the first round, to dig a little bit deeper, to find different solutions, to lose and then be able to recover and play well again, this is a situation that happens a lot in many tournaments. So that it happened today, now I have a few marks that are better for the rest of the tournament. So, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it, the process I'll tell you right, right away, it was just like going through every press conference and looking to looking at anything that seemed to be a comment on, um, uh, that revealed any sort of mindset or belief. Um, and then, and then I just gathered them all together and then tried to put them into themes and, and they came out pretty clearly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How do you, okay. So if you're, I guess outside of them like an athlete verbally saying something, if you're at a tournament and you're watching a player that you've never seen compete before, or say you're scouting for, for one of your kids. Um, and this is a bit of a segue and we'll get back on the, the, the main topic at some point, but how might you assess uh, like an opponent's ability to be mentally tough or, or gritty or like how, how might you see that as a coach? I mean, for me, the end result, the outcome is, that your focus, your intensity, and your intentions are not disturbed, okay. right? And that's that's always that's also the clue for me that someone is succumbing mentally. Is either their focus is affected, and that you can usually tell through either their what their what their eyes are doing, or their body language, or what they're or if they're talking. Their intensity is affected, which hopefully you can you can see visually through their 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 physical energy levels yeah. and whatnot. And or their intentions are affected. And so tactically, they start making decisions that they uh, weren't doing before. Or they wouldn't do normally. Mm-hmm. That for me 
is the end result of mental toughness. If we want to use that, use that term is your, your focus, your intensity and your tensions are where you would like them to be. Um, And so when I see that a player is being affected in one of these areas, then that gives me a hint that uh, there are some mental weaknesses. Yeah. I guess I want to praise you for, you always have things in like such neat categories in in the way that you break things down. And to be honest, before we started this podcast, I thought I was fairly systematic with my thoughts. And like in chatting with you more and more, I've just come to the realization that I'm certainly not because like, I think, I think you do it on a whole other level. <laughs> yeah, but that's just super that's just because I'm that's just because I'm obsessed with structures and systems. It does. I'm not sure it's better, but it's just the way. I <laughs> no, I think. I mean, I, I will say I think it's better because I think I think it's important as a coach that some, somebody throws a topic at you and you've got you have your beliefs that are set up like bop 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 like point by point. And now those those yeah. beliefs potentially change and and alter the more experienced or the, the more stuff happens. But anyway, it's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I do think there is value in it, at least for me. I mean, I think there's there's lots of like we've talked about this before. I think there's lots of good coaches out there who maybe don't have as clear of a uh, as clear of a structure, but they um, but they they know what they're looking for and they can get the job done. I think having a good structure a helps you explain things better, but it also helps you look for things better. That's yeah. the that's the real value is it helps you know what to look for and it may, it ensures that you're not missing out on things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because if your if your structure is not complete or you just look for what you're used to seeing, then you yeah. maybe miss out on the other thing. So for me, for me, I will say it is valuable. Um, so yeah. thanks, man. No, I have to have to. Um, before we we continue to segue this off into, again, a little fishing village in Sri Lanka. Um, is there any did you have any other massive points to do with the mental toughness thing? Because I've got a couple things that are related to it, but I, I don't want to derail you more than I already oh, have. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know. There was no rail to begin with. I, I had no, I had no agenda, and I don't think you did. No, but I just think the, um, I think the that distinction between you know a belief and a or a, or a mindset, and I should get the, I should get those definitions clear because, like I said, Louis was very clear on his definitions of beliefs and mindsets and attitudes and whatnot, but. Uh, the distinction between that versus a mental skill that can be trained and developed, not that beliefs and mindsets can't be changed, but I think it, you go about it in a different way. I think yeah. that distinction is very interesting, but go ahead, go on your, uh, t- t- take the exit. Okay. Take no, the, so take actually, the junction I, I and let's see where we go. Now you, you spark something else now. Okay. Mm. So we talked about like some of the things that we look for, some of the things that we see, and I think we're kind of in the same ballpark for the most part. What, um, how would you train these skills in an athlete? And that can be very vague because obviously there's athletes at, at mul- multitudes of different levels. But like, let's take Leo, for instance. Leo do- does great this week. At the end, I'd also like to talk to, ask you a little bit more about Leo, about like how his annual planning looks in terms of development, because I think it might be interesting. Well, it'll certainly be interesting for me to hear about his annual planning development wise as it pertains to a pro player. But if we take like Leo as an example for some psychological skills that he's working on, like how how are you guys training that? Or what is it like? What are the things that you've prioritized as being skills that he's focused on mentally? Well, I'll be. I mean, I'll 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 say first up. Um, I'll say first up that I don't I don't coach Leo. I mean, occasionally occasionally he'll be on court with me at the club, but it's pretty rare that he's home. He travels so much, and he's got a full time a full time coach in Christian Brignac, who's doing a great job, and of course uh, Rickard Billing here at the club. Um, but uh, I do a little bit of video analysis and stats for him, but that's uh, that's about it. Um, so I can't really comment, nor would I want to necessarily, just because I think it's a little bit personal. 
Um, so sorry to completely ruin your no, shut, fine. shut so down, shut down your question. To, there, if, uh, if you can take the same question and input one of your, one of your athletes and say it's an athlete that's at a, a pretty high level, um, mm. feel free to take it where, where you would like, maybe it's an athlete that you're sort of overseeing more than mm. that or have more input on their annual planning than, than another. Yeah. And the question was in terms of how do you. So like now getting into the training role, the coaching role of it, mm. how do you how do you assess what the potential, the psychological things you want to build are? And then how do you, how do you train it? Yeah. I mean, I think the assessing is easier than the, than the training. I think the assessing comes down, like I said, to recognizing, uh, recognizing when their focus intensity or intentions change and, and recognizing what's the cause of that. Is it, as I said, is it because of pressure? Is it because there's distractions? Is it because of adversity? Like you said, they've played five matches in a row and they've got a little thing in their heel or whatever. Um, is it because of the, their emotions and they get, they get frustrated or whatever, and then that affects them. Um, I think, you know, assessing the, so I think observing, observing and determining the, the, the cause, um, is important. And of course, sometimes there's underlying things which you have to get into. So maybe, maybe I spoke too soon in saying that assessing is easiest, but, um, I think that's the general approach. And then, you know, I don't have all the solutions. It, it, it's tough. I think if anyone knew how to train these skills, um, you know, without without flaw, then they would be uh, multimillionaires and we'd all know their names. But it's, I think, a big part of it is, a, a big part of it comes down to uh, focus, essentially, or what, or what uh, you know, psychologists would call attentional control, right? And so it's being able to, uh, you know, let go of the thoughts that you don't want to have and focus on the thoughts that you do want to have. Right. And that's just essentially just essentially just focus, right? That's what focus is. And I think there's different ways to develop that. I mean, I think you can develop it off the court with things like meditation. I'm a big believer in that, uh, big believer in meditation for both coaches and athletes, but also purely not for any spiritual reason, but purely for the, for the psychological reason of, of, developing attentional control but then i think you can also develop it on court in the drills that you do uh as long as they're demanding and they and they demand a level of attentional control a level of focus mm -hmm. i think that help that goes a long way i think that helps a lot because when we talk about handling distractions uh when we talk about handling distractions that of course is is focus when we talk about handling pressure an element of that is focus there's two theories of choking under pressure one is uh, what they call movement reinvestment, which is that we want to do it so bad that we start thinking about, okay, I need to bend my legs. I need to, I need to pronate here. I need to do this. And then that gets in the way of an automatic movement. Yeah. Um, and the other theory is the distraction theory, which is that we get distracted by thoughts of what if this, what if that, and then it takes our focus away from the task. But in both cases, it is some form of attentional control. We're thinking about the wrong things. So in a lot of these cases, um, in a lot of these cases, the solution I think is attentional control. And so uh, developing that in the ways that I described, like with meditation or just with on-court stuff. Um, but then I think in the, you know, a big part of it, at, at least with regards to, um, with regards to adversity, I think, uh, and to a certain extent pressure, but I think with, with regards to adversity, it's putting people in, in tough situations, right? It's what they call, um, once again, in psychology, I think they call it, um, like uh, inoculation or something like that. Like that's the medical term for when you get a vaccine, right? Because you get a little bit of the, you get a little bit of the the disease or whatever, but then your body adapts to it and then you become protected, right? That's how vaccines work. And it's the same, the same they, they propose the same idea with things like this, which is that you expose the athlete over time 
uh, so that it's not a shock when they go into competition and they have to deal with this pressure or deal with this adversity. So I think a big part of it is is establishing the, that environment. And, and that goes back to the assessment, right? Identifying what it is that's that's causing them to struggle, but then establish, creating that environment in practice. So creating an element of pressure, creating an element of adversity, creating distractions, whatever it is, and then helping them through it and, and building that sort of resistance or that immunity um, over time. Well, well said. Okay, cool. I mean, that's the stuff is like, it's neat. very, it's very, uh, uh, you know, it, it sounds very comprehensive and, and clear. And it's like, yeah, perfect. Got all the solutions, but it's much tougher to do in practice. But uh, that's the sort of general framework uh, yeah. that I go by. It's funny that this because okay, you mentioned um, the two biggest factors that you mentioned as it pertains to affecting your focus and you use technical names for them, but I'm going to try to sum them up. One of the, one of them is worrying about just worrying about things that are outside of your control to some extent. And then one of them is being overly technical in your thoughts where it's like worrying about how, how much I'm bending my knees, how much am I doing X, Y, and Z. Is that a fair synopsis of the two of the, two of the points you, you brought up? Yep, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think it's funny. So like with, even with something as simple as decision-making training, which I guess is a, a certain level of focus, it's like we go through stages where we want athletes to be very aware of their decisions and we want them to be very clear and quick and decisive of their decisions but the end result is to to react and not to make decisions. And I think that's that's really, really tough where it's like if somebody's working on anything, but let's say a mental skill, like the first step in them getting better at a mental skill might be being um, overly, overly aware of when they're in a situation where X, Y, and Z is going well or not well. But in a sense, that is the opposite of potentially flow state or zoning where it's like that if the athlete is conscious of it, then it's it's far from it being like unconsciously competent. Do you know what I mean? That's such a great point. I'm so glad you you brought that up because I I, I wanted to, to talk about something with that. But like, yeah, I completely agree because yeah, you you have to at a certain point raise raise their awareness of their thoughts and their thinking. But then you also have to, and this goes back a little bit to our discussion of demand and, and, and last week and other things, but like you have to give them enough repetitions that all these things become automatic. Yeah, because the goal is that they that it becomes automatic and they play essentially without thinking, at least without thinking in the moment. And I even had that discussion with Fred Fontaine, and, and he was talking about you know building players that are that are, can handle pressure and not choke. And he said like, you know, you 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 repeat a you repeat emotion enough times, you know, it's like if I said to you, okay, you know, if you miss this second serve, I'm going to shoot you. Like you'd feel some pressure, you might choke, right? Yeah, but I if see, I said, well, could I jump in? Yeah, my second serve is actually world class, so I'd feel no pressure. Okay, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> but but if I said to you, like, hey, you've got to walk 10 meters in a straight line, I mean, maybe if I shoot you, that's a little bit too much pressure. But if, if I said, like, you know, a million dollars or whatever, I bet you could probably do it because you've done that so much. It's so automatic. What time you might be a little. Will you... <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, it's, it, there is, an, there is uh, a degree of relativity with regards to the uh how much repetition you've had and of course the simplicity of the movement and all that but like that plays a role as well so yeah you have to i derailed your point a little bit but yeah you have to you have to build awareness of your thinking and your decision making and all and your technique as well right when we're developing technique i mean i think to a certain extent uh there's moments when you're going to have to challenge them to be aware of what their body is doing not always but um but you have to you have to raise that awareness and then the end goal is actually for them to lose awareness to be in a sense to be able to do it completely automatically yeah. and that's and getting to that stage is, is very very important yeah yeah for sure for sure 
And then I had a thought, okay, my last thought in this too, which is not meant, it just, uh, decision-making has been on my mind because I've been helping out with the Club Pro 2 course, and one of the big components is decision-making. But um, I had, I've had this thought where it's like, it's almost, it's almost better to have an athlete that makes bad decisions, but thoroughly believes or doesn't question their decision, as opposed to an athlete who makes all the right decisions, but is hesitant or is unsure of their decision. And now I haven't thought this through and I mentioned this to my buddy Jordan and Jordan's like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I think he's probably right. Like he's very well thought out, but it goes back to the whole concept of like, if you're unconscious in whatever decision you make, and even if it's the wrong one, it's like there, there might be some inherent level of like belief or, or at least belief that it's the right decision to some extent versus somebody making the right decision being like, ah, it's like either a late decision or hesitant or like, well, is this where Zach wants me to hit? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're specifically talking about decisions like in the point decisions. Yeah, in the point decisions. Yeah, but and, and again, that's 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 not it's related to focus and, and mental stuff, but it's not like it's not on our theme. So I just thought I would say that and leave it at that. But <laughs> no, but now I'm now I'm curious. But like, I guess what you're saying is that if they make the right decision, but either late or sort of without conviction and, and but you presumably that affects the execution then is what you're saying yeah so sure. you, they, right okay so then they don't they don't hit it as well and yeah for sure but i mean here's a here's a, a great example of my nerdy louiness but you hinted at it so maybe you know it too but louis had his five decision making errors do you remember those oh i should i should know these yeah come on man I could guess I, some, but... yeah go for it uh okay well wrong intention would be one yeah um execution would be one like for that's, not deci- that's not a decision-making error. Well, I mean, it affects your, like, if you make a decision and then you don't execute the decision, would that fall in the category of, like, a failure to actually do what, what it is you've decided? Be a technical thing. If you, like, actually made the right decision at the right time? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. It would be technical. Okay, so I got one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, gi- I'll give him to you because I'm pleased that I remember them now. He yeah. had wrong wrong decision, late decision. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, hesitation. Okay. I, I think I think change of decision and then no decision. Okay, I, think, I mean those I, all make sense. I think was I think was what he had, but now I'm I'm exposing myself. But anyway, um, I can't remember where I was going with that. But all that to say that you well, no, like I know where you're going. You, well, you're I remember going... where I'm going. Now. I know where I'm where I'm going too. Perfect. Let's do it. But I think like, the the point is you have to, it's not enough to just make the right decision, but if you, you have to make the right decision and on time, right? Correct. Right. And quick was the, was the terminology back in my coach too, right? Correct. And quick, like yeah. you have to make the right decision on time. And so if you, if you hesitate or if you change the decision or you make a wrong, or you don't make a decision, then of course that um, that's going to affect the execution. So I think like you have to make the right decision uh, on time. And if you're, like you said, if you make the right decision, but you're a little hesitant and then that results in you making the decision late, and then of course that affects the execution, then that is a problem. Right. Right. I don't know if it's better. I don't know if it's worse than making the wrong decision though. Right. Depends. And, and <laughs> making the wrong decision confidently. It depends how, depends how bad the, the wrong decision is. Yeah. That's well said. But I, I guess equate it to like, sometimes you see these, like these staunch believing eastern european players that have never experienced decision making in their life and they just go for the stupidest shots the stupidest times but they just believe they're so good that they make it and it's like man like how do they do that you know anyway that's interesting Uh, yeah i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a a a wrong decision or if it's just good technique or i don't know but i do think like 
decisiveness, like making a decision and sticking to it. I mean, that goes back to automaticity as well, though. Um, like you can't be second guessing. It has, it should, it should happen automatically. Essentially the decision, you have no time to make a decision, right? So you just go, but I do think like, yeah, having being decisive in your decision-making just because of the influence then on execution. Cause then you just, you see the ball earlier, you move faster, you hit the ball more confidently, more aggressively. Like yeah, that that's, that's definitely important for sure. Right. Anyway, let's go back to, so again, that whole, that whole concept of like, in order to, like the eventual goal is that all of these skills are automated, right? Anything we're doing as athletes, like the, the end result is we want it to be automated. We don't want it to be something that, that we're thinking about um, yeah. in terms of, of mental skills. So let me ask you this, because I think a lot of, a lot of coaches listen to this, do a lot of, I guess, pregame conversations and postgame conversations with athletes um, before and after matches, right? Um, how hesitant, like, are there certain things with your athlete that you will not bring up in a pre or post conversation? And I, I ask you, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. Sometimes one of my athletes will be doing a really, really good job of something. Um, but it's almost like I don't want to bring attention to it because I don't want it for them to then start thinking about it. Where it seems like they're doing a skill unconsciously. And so I'll make a point of not mentioning it in the hope that they continue to do it unconsciously. The answer, yeah, the answer is yes, but I don't know if my approach is the right one. But I was thinking of that literally this morning. Because like I said, I've been doing uh, doing some analysis for all of Leo's matches and Leo just just won the 25K in Jakarta and I was uh, tagging his match and going like, man, he is so clutch on his on his serve under pressure. Like he'll, you know, yeah. he'll go down 1540 and then boom, two big serves. And he's done it. He did it all tournament this week. Um, super clutch. And I was actually going to ask Christian, I was like, do you talk about that or did you just leave it be? Because that's exactly my thinking. I always hesitate there. Yeah. I always hesitate whether... I should pump them up and say, hey, you're doing a great job and allow them to sort of build confidence, right? And feel good about themselves versus to say like, you know what? I'm just not going to touch it because I don't want them to be thinking about it under pressure and feel like, oh, I need a big serve now or whatever. Right. Um, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, and Brad Gilbert talked about that in, in Winning Ugly, right? Like that was his thing was like, you know, his tip was, you know, the next time you're playing someone and you're losing uh, and, you know, it's, their forehand down the line is is, do, is really doing you damage. Just on the changeover, go, man, you know, what do you do? Like you're, you're how, how are you hitting your forehand so good? And then they'll be thinking about so it and well. then they'll be, and then they'll be screwed. Right. Yeah. Like that. So he, I mean, he talked about that, you know, whatever that was 20, 30 years ago. Um, so that's a very real phenomenon. So the answer is yes, I do hesitate on those things or I hesitate to bring up things that they're doing really well, but I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm uncertain as to, as to the best approach, because I think there's times when um, there's times when you want to use it to build confidence, uh-huh. right. If they, if they, uh, if they don't realize that they're doing it well, or they could be doing it more frequently, yeah. right? Then you maybe want to draw their attention to it as, hey, you're doing this really good. Like you can you can use this this more often. Um, but there's other moments when I mean, I guess the I guess the the thing is, you know, is this a skill? Is this a part of their game? Their like base level game, or is it a fluctuation above the norm? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think if it's like they're just they're just playing really well this week, right? Yep. They just happen to be treeing. Then I feel like it's, you don't touch it. Yeah. Right. You don't say anything, but if it's a part of their game, then ostensibly it shouldn't really be affected by you saying, Hey, you, you know, like yeah. if you say to John Isner, you go, you have a really good serve. He's not going to go like, I do. I have a really good, serve. like, <laughs> you know, like it's not going to, he's not going to start over obsessing about his serve technique. So like if it's something that it comes back to, is it automatic? Right. Yep. Is it truly automatic? And if it is in that case, then I think you can probably 
I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I think in that case, you could bring it up and, 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 and mention it for whatever reason, whatever purpose. And it shouldn't be disturbed in theory, unless you start to say like, Hey, you know, pay attention to your elbow position or whatever. But like, right. But if it's not a real part of their game and it just so happens that they're playing really good today or playing really good this week and you're thinking about it, then I would suggest maybe you, you, you leave it alone because, um, if they start thinking like, yeah, I am serving really well today. And then they start thinking about why, or they start paying attention to their serve and then it goes away. Yeah. That's good feedback. Um, and I guess what you're alluding to is it depends on, depends on the time, depends on the athlete, depends on what the, what the skill is. So like, it depends a lot, I suppose, but interesting. Yeah. 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 So can I, I have a, a, a beef to pick with things as it relates to mental <laughs> skills. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, one thing that I absolutely hate, and my mom, I love my mom to death, but she does this all the time in watching sports. So talk about like, so-and-so is a great fighter. Or like, oh, you know, you can never count out so-and-so. Or right. like, so-and-so will fight till the very end. That's not just my mom. It's like, you see all this stuff on when people are posting updates on Instagram about who won or who lost and stuff. Yeah, like like we did this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But it just it just infuriates me when we we associate these these labels, or these psychological skills to things just generically. And it's like, oh, like so and so was down, um, was down a break in the third set, and they won. So the mm-hmm. caption afterwards is like, oh, you can't put them away; they're just so tough. Right. And I'm going nowhere with this outside of saying it just frustrates me. It just frustrates <laughs> me where it's like, I don't know, all that. Or if somebody's like, oh, so and so such a great fighter. It's like, how? What? What is it about the last match they played that makes them a great fighter? And like, yeah, please yeah. be specific. So you know me, like I'm a bit of a dick, but I've gone down this rabbit hole of Twitter where like, there's actually more tennis twitter commentators than you'd think and all mm. of them will usually have some sort of a stupid line like that after somebody's results and my favorite <laughs> thing in the world is to be ask them to, to say to them can you please be more specific are you still doing they that never respond because they've blocked me it's been a long time and everything else but it just like i just that stuff just irritates me zach end of rant yeah Thank no you but that's yeah but that... <laughs> i'm gonna go find your twitter account now <laughs> but that's um no but that's fair i mean i think on the one hand it's like you know, these things make for good stories. Um, these sort of captions and people like people like, yeah, people like the, the image, the sort of gladiatorial, uh, contest between two people and whoever want, oh, you want to know what pisses me off is you have to want it more. You got to want it more. Uh, that's one of the, I mean, that drives me up the wall. I mean, that's one of the (laughs) the worst. I mean, want it. I mean, yeah, he just wanted it more. No, nah, I mean, uh, shut up. You don't think the other guy wanted to win? You don't think the other person wants to be number one in the world? Uh, give me a break. So that one drives me nuts. But it's it just you know it 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 drives clicks. It sells it sells books. It sells TV shows. I mean, it's just it's just uh, it's advertising is what it is. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I was gonna I was gonna go into something, but now I can't remember what it was. Well, let me jump in with one. This is the last yeah. one I have for you today on it. Um. Do you, how much merit do you think there is in athletes sort of, and I have this in brackets, being willing to lose straight up? And what I mean by that is like, how much merit is there in an athlete where like, not making excuses for, for when they lose or not always having this thing like, oh, well, X, Y, and Z. Oh, I played three matches. Oh, whatever. Like, how much merit is there in an athlete who's like, yeah, I lost. And then like, taking that that loss and then being able to make adjustments from that loss. Cause I think what I, what I see a lot of is like, there's a lot of athletes who will always have some reason or something that happened in the match. That was sort of a reason why they might've lost. And I think the reason that's an issue is because um, 
it doesn't really help with the growth mindset. And I was, I wrote this down as you're talking about the Felix stuff, but it's like, if, if your idea is to, is to be as good as you can be and be growth mindset oriented, sometimes if we have excuses about why we lost, it can stop us from really assessing the reasons, like the actual reasons why we lost. Yeah, and I, if I, you I can clear that up for me again, I would appreciate it. No, I think that was totally clear. I completely agree. I mean, I'll go back to something that I said in the very first episode, which was for me, one of the, what I try to develop is an ability to, as I discussed, to accept the things that you can't control, mm-hmm. um, but then work to change the things that you can change or can control, right? Is that whole serenity prayer thing. And then, uh, you know, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so I think that, you know, what you want to avoid, of course, is the fee- is the feeling of like, yeah, I just lost. I wasn't good enough. Right. And then it's like, first of all, sort of this, this, I, this complacency, right. This, uh, this sort of acceptance of like, yeah, I guess I'm just not good enough. I just lost. Right. And, and this, um, and, you know, not investigating the reasons why. Yeah. Right. So you want to avoid that. But on the other hand, like you said, you don't want to just be making excuses because there must be something that you could have done better. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to look into, okay, what are, what is that thing? And what do I, where do I want to direct my energy? So I think, I actually think it's, not ideal, but it's okay if they're making excuses so long as most of their energy is focused on getting better for the next time. Right. Um, it's not ideal. It's not what I want. Like I said, my, my ideal is, uh, they, you know, they accept what they can control. So it's like, yeah, there was wind or whatever, but who cares? Uh, I got to be able to handle that. And then they focus on next time. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do this better. And they hit the practice court with, with a, a ton of intensity and energy. But I think, going back to my thing about mental, mental skills and like your focus, your intensity, your intentions. I think if you hit the practice court afterwards, because some people at the end of the day say things, maybe it's just what they say immediately when they walk off the court. Maybe they've just kind of been conditioned to, to say these things. Maybe it's a a bluff because they want to cover, they want to act a certain way with their friends or whatever. But as long as they, as long as their behaviors in between matches, their behaviors on the practice court and, and off court and in, 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 training and preparation, all their behaviors that lead that, that contribute to their development. If their behaviors are right, then I am actually not too concerned about the excuses they make and the words that they say. Now, now that's difficult to manage. Of course, that's why I said like the ideal of course is that they don't make excuses, but I think the, the, the end result or the focus still has to be on the, the behaviors. Yeah. My only thing I jump in on there is I think it's rare that there's players that make excuses um that also hit the practice court and like it, make excuses and then you mentioned something along the lines of like but mentioned oh next time it's it's going to be different like i think it, it that's rare i think it's more Agreed. or i've experienced athletes more that they make excuses and then again that gets in the way of their development because they're like well what if i don't get hurt next time yeah you know what i mean and that's not really something they can they can control and it's not really like about the x-y's and these like well i gotta win more seconds or points or or yeah. whatever, whatever the case might be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why no, I, I go back I, to again. It's like if a player is willing to lose straight up, it's an incredibly valuable skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's there's a level of maturity involved as well. Right. Yeah. It's Perfect. a very uh challenging thing to have to accept the fact that I am not as good as this player. Yeah. Right. And I guess you could argue it's I'm not as good as this player on uh, today, right? Today, on this yeah. on this given yeah. day. 
but of course, if it's someone who's, you know, who's beaten you a couple of times already, or who's got a much better ranking or much better results, you kind of go like, I'm not as good as him, or I'm not as good as her. And that's a tough pill to swallow. For sure. But I think that, and that's the balance again, because going back to going back to that first episode, but like some people will accept that and they'll just say like, well, this is my place in the, in the, in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. And they just, and, and then that kills you as well. Right. Sure. So For it's sure. that ability to accept that, Hey, I'm not as good as him right now, but to also go, I can change this thing. I can change this thing. I can change this thing. This is what I'm going to work on. This is the plan. And then yep. to, to hit the court with that, with yep. that fire. And even with that, I think it's like sort of, being willing to lose straight up in brackets, I think closely ties in with like, I want athletes who like when it's four all in the third set or five all in the second or whatever, when it's a big moment, I want them to like really goes back to the embracing the challenge thing to be like, yes, like this is what I train for. Like, I, I love the fact it's tense here. I love the fact like this, my opponent thinks they can beat me. That's great. Like, let, let's go. Yeah. And I think that falls into the same category of like the billing, like being vulnerable enough to being willing to lose straight up in a sense of like, just putting yourself on the line. Like, this is what I train for. I train for these big moments. But so let me I put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, let me put you on the spot there. How, yeah. so we talk about that embracing the challenge. How do you go about developing that? I'm not sure. I don't know. Mm. Because I think in a grand scheme of things, so few players have that. Um, And I could mm. be, I could be wrong, but so I don't know. I guess I think it's, it, well, it's an, okay. I think, one of the things, one of the ways that you train it is if the player is comes from a very supportive environment where it's like, it's okay for them to be unsuccessful. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's certainly everybody wants them to be successful. But if, if a player feels like they have the wiggle room to, um, to not get through a match, I think that really helps. But I think if, if players feel an incredible amount of pressure from their academy or their coach or their parents, um, then I, I think you tend to see more more panic in big moments. And it goes back to what you said about one of the things, like, what what are my friends going to think? What are my coaches going to think if I don't win this match? Mm. Versus being clear enough in your thought to be like, yeah, five all, let's go. This is like, I'm built for this. Mm. You know what I mean? But without having, I guess, the freedom or the flexibility from your team to um, to potentially fail in those moments, it's very tough to to get there. That's off the top of my head. That's not well thought out. It's off the top of my head. No, but it's interesting. It gets me thinking. What do you think about the the players who put the pressure on themselves? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do we think... I sometimes think almost all of that can be external. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there's players who put more pressure on themselves, but I think it almost always comes from extra- external factors. Unless there yeah, is would... legit some, some form of mental health... Thing that's affecting the athlete um that might yeah i was wondering i was wondering about that as i as i posed the question but I, i'm not sure i can imagine that you might put pressure on yourself because of beliefs that you developed over time due to external influences if that makes any sense mm-hmm. does it make sense i don't know <laughs> yeah but so i i could imagine a situation where I could imagine a situation where your parents or your environment or your school or whatever, uh, you know, built, instilled certain beliefs in you, right? So you believe that, um, you know, fixed mindset stuff, right? Fixed mindset stuff like, you know, I, I am smart, I'm not smart, or I am an athlete, or I'm not an athlete or whatever. 
And then that becomes a part of who you are. And so then you end up putting pressure on yourself to win. Your parents or whatever aren't putting any pressure on you, right? Because they don't, maybe they don't care. Maybe it was your school that that instilled this belief, right? right? But then you have this belief in you. And then that that causes you to put pressure on yourself because you feel like if I don't win this, this means I'm bad at tennis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you could be right. That's something I'll have to think more about because again, going back, my mindset has sort of, or my thought process has always been that almost all of that is external, but it'd be interesting. Yeah. Like what are potential internal factors that would affect that? It'll be interesting to think about. Yeah. And then my other, my other question is, do you think, do you think you can be great, you know, best in the world without that love of the, of the challenge love to be in that moment of, you know, third set for all. No. And I won't yeah. add any more to that. I, I don't think so. Like even we t- look at a guy like Rublev. Uh, you said you weren't oh. going to add any more. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, here we go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go. Um, look at a guy like Rublev. Mm. He will freak out in big moments. He's very self-deprecating. He'll be on himself about stuff all the time, but in a weird way, it's like, there's never a question that he loves. Like it doesn't ever look like he doesn't love being in those moments. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll break it down like this too, where it's like, I lo- watched a lot of under 18 provincials. And what I found was as soon as a player had a psychological outburst at the U18 provincial level, it affected them either for the remainder of the match, or at least for a significant amount of points after their outburst. Mm. And afterwards when under 18 nationals and it was like, okay, the outburst that a player might have wouldn't affect them the entire match, but it'd certainly be at least a couple of points where they'd be negatively affected afterwards. Then we went to these series of ITFs, and it was like, the big thing that stood out to me at these ITFs was players would have outbursts, and I would even argue that maybe there were more outbursts at the ITF level than there were at the under-18 level. But the mm-hmm. difference was they refocused for the next point, and it very rarely led into a multiple-point thing. And I, I say that to go back to the Rublev thing, where it's like, he freaks out, blah, 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 he's tough on himself. But for the next point, I, I think, I think at least that there is no question in his belief in his ability to win the next point or to win that match or whatever else. And I think that's shown with like, what is he down 4-0 or 4-1 or something in the third set against Rune the other day? Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure that answers your question, but. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it ties in exactly. I mean, I, I echo that sentiment because it ties in exactly with what I was saying, which is that for me, the sign of, are you mentally tough? If we want to use that phrase is not do you have the outburst? It's how do you respond to it? And like I said, focus, intensity, intentions. The best players have the outburst and then the very next point is played with the same focus, the same intensity, the same intentions or the right intentions, right? So I completely agree with that and I think that's a very valuable point that you just made. Um, my question would be, is then we don't have to have an answer, but is that is what you just witnessed, is that the result of this embracing challenge mindset or is it the, just the result of a mental skill, right? The ability to refocus or to subdue your emotions after having an outburst. Yeah, I don't know. That's the, that's, that's, that's the yeah. question. Because going back to the thing about the mindset of embracing challenge, I think there's, I think there are some players who love to be in the third set for all, right? Yeah. I think there's other players who they don't shy away from it, but it's just a part of their job. It's a part of competing. And I think they enjoy the whole process. I think you have to enjoy the whole journey and the whole process of, of, of being an elite athlete. But in those moments, I think there are some players who really love it and get a kick out of it. And that's their, their, their dopamine hit. 
And there's yep. other players for whom it's like, this is a part of my, this is a part of my job and I tackle it like any other and, and they get a rush out of, you know, holding the trophy above their head. Yep. Yeah. Well said. Uh, so that's my, once again, it comes down to the same behavior in the end, but I, that's my, my one question or my one query with what you're talking about is, do you have to really love it and get a kick out of it? Um, or do you, or do you just have to be able to to tolerate it and, and handle it? But I don't know. Either way, I just think if it's either of those or any character, any category that is very similar to those, I think it is a non-negotiable to be world-class. Mm, mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. I can, I can get on board uh, with that. Great. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, especially in a sport like tennis, right? You're going to face so much challenge. Yeah. Right. That you, if you can't handle it, I think it's pretty tough uh, to, to, to be successful or at least to, to stay at the top. Sure. Yeah. Yep. We came to an agreement. We did it. We did it. Yeah. No answers. Lots of questions. Lots of questions. Hey, just on that, that reminded me. Um, yep. We do, if anybody's interested, we do have a website now. Hey. And it's not a great website, but uh, thegrayzone.co, because I guess uh, all the dot coms are taken. So yep. check us out there. Um, there's nothing on there really. It's that exact photo. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'll great plug. To- do it to our thing but yeah that's there and then instagram uh you got you got some instagram news for us there zaki also thegrayzone.co at thegrayzone.co on instagram so it's the same both places you can't forget it can't forget it um, um, there's also not much there but, but it's something maybe one day could i share my truth with you before we go yeah go so every time we've done one of these podcasts which is now like eight or nine times you'll yep. send the zoom link in instagram yeah and Every time I've been pissed at you, being like, why the fuck doesn't this guy just email me the link? Yeah. Not realizing until today that I can open Instagram on my computer and click the yeah. link from there. And I don't have to do it from my phone to email. And so there's <laughs> so many things like this that happen in my day-to-day life where it's like, what are the other things that are holding me back daily? And well, that's, this that's, is... all, that's all I have for you. Yeah. Well, no, I, that's why I do it because I'm on my computer. But it's also because... We primarily communicate by Instagram because yep. I tried to text you both on regular text and WhatsApp and you never responded to me all yeah, this all this time ago. So you didn't even like open it, which is uh, which I don't know. We will have to dig into that. But um, and yeah, I'm still going to send it on Instagram. So uh, no, do it. And see, now it's not a problem because now that I understand that the technology device I record on also has access to Instagram. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's called months, dude. It's called the internet, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Next level stuff. That was yeah. the gray zone.